Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Adam Boltwood, one point to you, zero point to myself. I'm sorry. Eat my shorts. It's Monday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Weekend Review with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Dave O'Brien. Oh, yeah. And, of course, Lawrence McKenna. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on the Front 3. We are, of course, talking the Sadio Mane show. Leicester continuing their free fall, as well as the Liga and all the action from around Europe. We'll also be revealing our Player of the Week, as voted for, by you on Twitter, no Manchester United player in the nominees this week, Dave. You must be very disappointed. Yeah, but I can keep that to myself. I'm happy with with the boys, Juan Mata, Mkhitaryan and Martial. I couldn't pick which one was the best, so I couldn't put someone in because I, I thought they were all excellent. There is one man who was excellent and is included in the poll, Lawrence, and that is Sadio Mane, the star of the show, as Liverpool beat Tottenham convincingly 2-0. Tottenham, of course, maintaining their unwanted stat of being unable to beat a side away from home in the top six. Liverpool, of course, keep up their impressive record against those very same top sides. Apart from Mane, overall, it was a fantastic display of Lawrence, uh, Jurgen Klopp's side ending their recent poor form in style. Uh, I'm sort of, yeah, all right, yeah. Um, I think, I don't know, I feel a little bit contrasted about this game because uh, for weeks people have been saying, you know, Liverpool, they can't break a team down, you know, they... Uh, they they really struggle. And uh, if I'm honest, I think it's not so much that Klopp got it right, though his team did, and they do deserve credit for that. I think it's more that Poch got it wrong, uh, or at least didn't play out, play the team that I think a lot of people expected him to. I, I felt like Spurs should have gone there with a the back three. I felt like uh, they would have been a lot more compact. Liverpool would have struggled to break them down, and they would have been able to break on Liverpool with the likes of Son and Kane, who did have chances and did get into areas and clearly found Liverpool's soft centre. People are talking as if this is some sort of turning point for Liverpool. And I agree that that confidence is a huge part and and the psychological factor is big for Klopp. But tactically, I I don't think anything's changed at Liverpool. And I still think the same problems exist. Living up to this negative Liverpool fan reputation. It's not negative. It's it's realistic. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Dave, Dave, have I said anything wrong there? You know, have have Liverpool proven anything that that anyone's put out there? It doesn't make any sense. So I think the thing, the one thing that me that, that completely stood out, uh, the performance against Tottenham, the, the intensity was back. Liverpool haven't been as intense this season. It's reflected in terms of how many tackles they've won in the opposition's half. Um, you know, before the Liverpool game, 
Uh, both Spurs and Palace had won more tackles in 2017 than Liverpool. The year before that, 2016, Liverpool were miles ahead. I didn't feel they had that same intensity in recent weeks. You know, the games that they played in, in uh, January, they didn't have that same aggression. But I think with Saido Mane and the team and him coming back into form and him back being fit, it completely changes this Liverpool team. Because if Sado Mane goes, Sado Mane presses, Lalana presses, the rest of the team presses, Spurs got no time on the ball in that first 20 minutes. And I think that's kind of, that won them the game. Gagan pressing was the playmaker. Gagan pressing won Liverpool this game of football. And it was simple as that. But Spurs' composure, like you mentioned, team selection. Obviously, with Vertonghen out injured, it's difficult uh, to replace a player of his calibre. And I didn't think Dyer stepped in very well. Um, Wanyama had his worst game in a Spurs shirt. Wiktonyama's been so good this season, but was just too sloppy on the ball, too slow on the ball. And Liverpool just capitalised that. And Liverpool were really good. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Lawrence doesn't I just, want to give I just, it the credit. He just doesn't I just, want to give it. Um, I think you're right, Dave. You, you highlight that sort of blistering start by Liverpool. Spurs clearly are taken aback by that. They struggled to cope with it in those opening 20 minutes, the opening half an hour. But despite... The tempo, but they also the played themselves into trouble. So yeah, they, that's, they played themselves into that. Of course, I think Dave is right to point out individually. You know, I was convinced Victor Wanyama had been replaced by an imposter. Uh, Musa Dembele wasn't the, the player he usually is. Dyer has been usually reliable at the back, whether it be in midfield as well. But there was a lack of composure from him. I agree with what Lawrence is saying, though, Dave, in terms of the way Pochettino approached the game. It's hard to escape the feeling he played into. Liverpool's hands, you know, that high line exposed mm. on numerous occasions, yeah. acres of space for players like Mane to run into. It was a bit baffling almost when we've seen how teams have managed to frustrate Jurgen Klopp's system in recent weeks, no? Yeah, no, I kind of agree there, but I think that's something that Pochettino, as a young manager, maybe needs to adapt to and learn that, yeah, you, there is a different style of football that will beat this Liverpool team that isn't that. But I kind of like, I feel a bit sorry for Pochettino because I feel if, if Tottenham had played a back three with Vertonghen, uh, Dyer and out of it, Eld, that would have given them a better platform in terms of playing out of the back. You think of the Liverpool press, you know, say it's played potentially four men um, on the opposition. So that's going to be usually taken up uh, the maybe the two centre backs, uh, the two central midfielders. So that's sort of like a four on four that Liverpool had created against Spurs in an attacking third. Uh, in a defensive sense, that's quite a complicated sentence, but hopefully it makes a little bit of sense. Going back to if they're playing a back three, that means they've got an extra man in there. So they would have had three centre-halves, two defensive midfielders, and they would have had a five-on-four. So there would have been an extra man to rotate the ball. So I kind of, you know, I understand why Pochettino would be blamed, but also I think he's a little bit unlucky that Vertonghen's gone out injured. And it was a game that potentially he should have changed it up and been a little bit more defensive. But I feel if they played that back three, if they played the four, uh, the, sorry, the three, four, two, one they were played against Chelsea, I think Tottenham would have got a result here. That's exactly what we saying that's what we said in our preview though is they Spurs should go there and sit and uh, you know they did it against Chelsea they've proven they can do it I don't understand why they didn't do it against Lot. and I also don't understand why now everyone's right I, th- I mean I partly understand it I think a lot of people want to set Liverpool up for another fall or want to uh, sell it as you know Liverpool that they only perform in the big games and to some extent that's true Dave said the intensity was gone no the intensity wasn't gone in those games it's literally that Liverpool do turn up for the big games and Klopp said it himself there needs to be consistency and there hasn't been so you're not confident Lawrence that this is indeed a turning point for Liverpool I mean a lot was made after the game about this this players only meeting that Adam Lallana revealed Jordan Henderson called these clear the air talks seem to work but you're you're not so you're not buying into it uh I mean <clears throat> I've I can't profess to be on the inside of the club. I imagine they were good talks. I imagine that they probably did need something like that. I think Klopp probably has 
back to the time when uh, he was under the cosh at Dortmund. Um, I imagine he's also telling the players, look, it took me time as well at Dortmund. I finished, I think, fifth and sixth or fourth and sixth in the Bundesliga the first two seasons. But then things began to click. So I think he's been using that psychology. And I think he will. He's, you know, he's um, infamously a, a very psychological manager. And, you know, I mean, there were a lot of people talking him up for the weekend. Lewandowski was talking him up, uh, saying he was a manager that made me believe. Uh, Pep Guardiola was the manager that made me see the way the field works. Seems to be the way that uh, a lot of players feel at Liverpool. Uh, you know, even Mkhitaryan, who's a Manchester United player now, is saying he owes a lot to Klopp. So I think, you know, there are a lot of people giving him the backing that he needs. I think he will try and turn this into a uh, a turning point. And, you know, rightly so. As a Liverpool fan, I don't want to take away from that. But that doesn't stop the same uh, criticism that I think Liverpool have received in recent weeks and one that I think has been there all season, that <clears throat> can't break teams down when they sit back. And uh, at the same time, if it, they are still very soft at the centre. I mean, you can't deny Adam. Spurs had a terrible performance but still managed to create chances. Song got through one-on-one with Mignolet. Uh, they, they, they missed quite a few close chances and had they played two better balls and been more on point, I, arguably uh, it would have been a different result. Maybe, I mean, even 2-1 looks closer, doesn't it? I, I think mm. 2-0 maybe flatters Liverpool. And that's what worries me. There's, not, there's still not the consistency or the game plan in place to beat every side in the league, just the Chelsea's or the Spurs who go out there and attack. Perhaps. I think, however, you know, those opening 30 minutes, it could have been... Three, four, five nil potentially. Liverpool was so dominant, um, but that's happened. But we know that happens. That's not that's not Liverpool's problem. I mean, Liverpool. You know, what we evaluated over recent weeks was Liverpool. Whenever they play a big team, do seem to turn up. So that's not been the identified issue. So I'm saying, if that's not the identified issue, how has this game addressed any of those things? It's good for confidence, and that's a positive. Let's take that as Liverpool fans, but let's not pretend that everything else isn't still unanswered essentially because you know Liverpool didn't play a small team they played a team that totally played into Klopp's hands and that was really confusing especially considering what Pochettino is good at Mm. questions unanswered for Spurs over their away form it's only four wins out of 12 on the road now for them and it of course brings Tottenham's 11 game unbeaten run to an end luckily Spurs Ah. next league match uh, it is at White Hart Lane where they remain undefeated this season. Stoke visit on the 26th of February. Before that, of course, we've got the two legs against Ghent in the Europa League. Also a trip to Fulham, sandwiched in the middle uh, at the weekend in the FA Cup. Fifth round, Liverpool on the other hand, are not in action until the 27th of February. Yeah, they've got a little pre-season almost uh, to look forward to. Uh, They're facing Leicester at the end of the month at the King Power Stadium. It's going to be interesting to see how that impacts the race for the top four, Dave, the additional competitions and fixtures coming in or lack thereof for other teams uh, in that top five and six. I think it's going to be absolutely huge. I think the thing with Spurs as well, if this, this defeat is at a really bad time in their season. If they'd won, if they'd beaten Liverpool, that would have been a real momentum builder to you know continue them through, hopefully push them through the Europa League. We saw last season, they really struggled with the Europa League. We've seen this season how Man United have really struggled with the Europa League. I think Mourinho's got a little bit more adapt to it now. He's, he's adapted to it. He's been like, you know, Okay, we'll play this team on Thursday, this team on Saturday. So I think it's something that Pochettino needs to do. Unfortunately for Pochettino, he hasn't spent whatever, how much, you know, 100 plus million pounds on attacking talent, midfield talent that Mourinho has. So unfortunately, it could really cost Spurs. And then you have that every single season, the trend that unfortunately in the last seven games with Pochettino, his win rate absolutely falls, falls by about 10%, which doesn't sound like a lot, um, me saying just 10%, but 
in the last uh, seven games of the last three seasons, Spurs have won seven out of 18. So they just get tired because of the style of football and so forth. So it's a bad, it's bad news for Spurs right now. It really is. And they need to be able to either get out of the Europa League ASAP and focus on the league or maybe go for the Europa League this season. It's going to be a big, big, big test. Good, good news is, Adam, they, they took the Liverpool game off, essentially. So that must have given them time to rest. <laughs> yeah, the other good news is we don't, we don't have to play the top six away from home for the rest of the season, which is encouraging. Um, it will be interesting to see how the squad copes with those those extra demands. I mean, Pochettino didn't exactly sound filled with confidence after the game. I mean, as you said, Dave, he was talking about how, you know, Spurs is a different project with different resources to these other teams. And of course, Spurs have never qualified for the Champions League in back-to-back seasons. So it remains an uphill task, even though they remain in second. Um, let's move away from the top of the table, though. Let's go to the bottom of the table. Swansea 2, Leicester nil. We were talking about how this was such Champions. a crucial game. The Champions Leicester. I should say. Yes, they're, they're setting some unwanted records. They remain the only side in the top four English divisions without a league goal in 2017. And with that <laughs> defeat at Swansea, their relegation rivals, of course, they have become the first reigning champions to lose five consecutive top flight matches since Chelsea in 1956. Uh, Ranieri with some interesting post-match comments, Lawrence, saying that perhaps he's had too much faith in some players, given them too many chances. Do you think he's going to tinker? The Tinker Man has been tinkering a lot, it has to be said. But maybe he's going to tinker some more, Lawrence. It's, it's an interesting one. Um, this, it's all getting a bit like that scene. Have you ever seen the film The Legend of Bagger Vance? You know, <laughs> when he's, you know when he's going around... I, in many ways, I think Ranieri could do with his own Bagger Vance. Anyway, um, it, they're going around the golf course and he's doing terribly and he turns to him and he's like, oh my God, this is getting embarrassing. And he turns to him and he's like, oh no, sir. This was embarrassing a long time ago. It's very much like that at Leicester right now. Um, it, every defeat just seems to compound the way that people are thinking. It's very difficult to uh, counter the negative analysis um, because it, the, it's not a scattergun approach. It's, it seems like a typical Ranieri approach at this point. In two seasons, you've had what is considered the best of Ranieri and the worst of Ranieri in that he has a very simple, uh, almost at times seemingly crude idea of how to make a team go out there and set up, you can reduce that down to uh, essentially letting players play on their instinct and letting them play at the very peak of their form and therefore uh, they can play very well. And then basically uh, finding the transition to being the successful or the hit team in the league very difficult, which is, I think, what a lot of sides struggle with anyway. He's not the only manager to struggle with that. And they've really struggled with that this season because I think a lot of people have tactically worked them out, like Dave said, and they haven't changed enough. Um, and then at the same time, they've also come up against a much more difficult league. I think that's what most people are not acknowledging, is this is a strengthened league to what it was in the Premier League last season. So the surprise results that maybe wowed people last season, less so. And actually, Leicester are now the surprise result, uh, but you know, sort of on the receiving end of that. And that must be quite demoralising for a side that I think uh, also, this is a, a big sort of selling point for themselves on the CV and vice versa. I think it's getting a little bit cliched now at this point to be like, well, they had such a great time last season. They're going to love it this season, even if they go down. It's a bit gratuitous. It's a little bit shit. Like, why would you why would you be so happy with failure if uh, if maybe what you're expecting was a sort of a reasonable uh, drop off? This isn't a reasonable drop off. This side should still be staying in the league. And it's very unusual as to why not. The biggest issue I think maybe they have right now is they haven't swapped managers. Um, and there are you know, a number of other sides in the league, not least Swansea, who saw 
the threat went out and um, did what they had to do. I, I wonder how many... Adam, can I ask you this question? Would you rather have two seasons where you stay in the league and people go, that's great consistency, or win the league and then go out of it? I don't think any Leicester fans would swap what happened last season oh, for relegation this season. I don't think they'd, they'd, they'd want to negate that. It's, I mean, the, the problem, as you say, is that so many teams or a few teams in that position have made changes and have been somewhat resurgent, like Hull, who are performing well under Marco Silva. And, of course, as you say, Swansea, they're now up to 15th after that win. They're four points clear of danger now. Um, they've won three of their last five under Paul Clement. I mean, just what has uh, Carl Ancelotti's BFF, Dave, what has he done to turn around the fortunes after taking over from friend of the show, Bob Bradley? I think he's, you know, he's brought back that sort of Swansea-style possession-based football, but he's made them very resolute. Against Manchester City, they, they really hung in the game. City had quite a few big chances um, last week, but they stayed in. But what we're seeing is now that they've got that ability to compete against the big boys, but also blow away the little boys in a way. And I'd say that's kind of what happened with someone like Gilfie Sigurdsson in the side from set pieces and his off-the-ball movement, again, being, you know, clipping the ball into the box for the first goal. It's a real asset. And with Fernando Llorente, again, I've already said this many times on this podcast, he's a really good striker. And now they're starting to reap the rewards of having him in their side. And he's he's been really good. His hold-up play has been pretty awesome and I, I just like the the blend of players they've got in there they, it's it's like you know it's got a it's got a good their midfield's got a good blend of uh, of players you know we talk about how uh, Bournemouth you know they've got the same player there's just you know, they all have you know recyclers in there Bournemouth uh, sorry Swansea sorry I've got a really good blend of, of players you know you've got Cork in there holding Leroy Fur being a little bit of a goal scoring threat more of you know an aggressive midfielder and then Tom Carroll in there whose form has been fantastic but the player that's really shone for me is Martin Olsen I used to think Martin Olsen was rubbish. He was rubbish at Blackburn. But it seems like being in the championship for a few seasons, he's learned how to defend. He's learned how to use his pace. He always had pace. He's always been good uh, getting forward, but it was his defensively he's been quite poor. And I think what we've seen with uh, Paul Clement, whatever he's done with him in a, in a tactical sense, he's, he's teaching him how to play football in a way. He's teaching him how to defend. And he, he does keep it quite simple in possession. Um, you know, with the ball at his feet, he is quite direct and he will, when he gets to the final third, he does cross, but he's doing everything right. And he's a player that I like players that prove me wrong. And he's a player that's definitely proved me wrong. Because when he, he was signed for Swansea, I sort of turned my nose on that. I thought, yeah, seen him before in the Premier League for Blackburn, wasn't very good. And now, you know, he's, he's really coming, to, coming into it and he was fantastic against Leicester. Prove me wrong, children. <laughs> prove me wrong. All coming up, Milhouse then uh, for Swansea at the moment. Uh, another team, Very good. Another team, uh, gaining points in the battle against relegation, looking quite comfortable now. Burnley uh, earning a point against Chelsea at home. Um, Chelsea missing the chance to go twelve points clear at the top of the Premier League. That's to make do with just the ten points, unfortunately for them. Dave, talk to me about Sean Dyche. Uh, he exploited Chelsea's vulnerability down that left-hand side. Did he not? Yeah, it's a vulnerability and it, you know, it's something that you potentially could exploit and they did well. But if you think about uh, the Burnley side, it is, it's more of a unit and I think they just exploited Chelsea. They defended very, very well. Burnley are very, very difficult to break down. They sit deep. They go very, very long. One of, an interesting stat coming out of the, the Chelsea game is they completed 63% of their passes. You're looking at an, an average Premier League team, you're going to hit about 80 to 85, probably 80 to 90, let's say, average pass uh, accuracy. And Burnley, 63%. You know, they were just going long. And it, and it kind of, 
it helped them that they were giving Chelsea the ball because Chelsea had been so good this season, nicking goals and then sitting back and counter-attacking. What Burnley did, even though they went a goal behind, they were just like, right, you have the ball. You have the ball and then we'll get, we'll get set pieces, we'll get crosses into the box and we'll do you know, a classic English style of football. And Sean Dyche deserves a lot of credit for, for that. And it, it, more than exploiting the, the left-hand side, it was more just that they kind of did something that not many teams have done against Chelsea and given them the sort of forcing them to dictate. Matic didn't mm. have the greatest of games because he's been good this season at breaking, at destroying and then getting into that final third. But there's no, with Matic this season, he hasn't been great at playmaking. He's been good in the final third. He's been direct in the final third. But, you know, in that centre of the park, they keep it quite simple. They ship it to the wing backs. Then the ball goes down the flanks. When someone like Burnley puts the responsibility of Chelsea, of Kante and, and Matic to dictate, that's when Chelsea, you know, have found it a little bit difficult to break people down. With that in mind then, Dave, uh, is it time for Antonio Conte to give a chance to Cesc Fabregas in the starting lineup? He's only made five starts this season under the Italian, but some Chelsea fans were calling for for the Spanish midfielders. Guy or maybe a bit of his penetration coming in against a team like Burnley, who, as you say, sit back and put the onus on the uh, the champions in waiting. Yeah, 100%. I think Cesc Fabregas has definitely got a role in this uh, potential title-winning season for Chelsea. And I feel that he gives them, like you're saying, it gives them another option. But maybe because Chelsea have been so good with these two central midfielders, you want to throw Fabregas as part of the front three. Great podcast, by the way. Podcast. Um, podcast. You know, you've got Diego Costa in there, who's been a little bit poor uh, in recent weeks. In, in the last three games, he's failed to score a goal. He's only had one shot on target. Maybe the card for, for this game, you know, knowing that Burnley would play a certain style of football, was to throw Fabregas at a false nine or maybe move Hazard to false nine and move Fabregas to left wing. Obviously, very bold and easier to say in retrospect. Uh, but yeah, maybe Fabregas should have come on a little bit earlier than he did in the game. You know, he left it, he left it until the 67th minute uh, in the game. Maybe a, a bold substitution at half time, taking Matic off and bringing Fabregas on. Because we've seen when Fabregas has been on, he's still got that fantastic relationship with Costa, and he could have helped Costa get over this little mini blip in form. Bit of a goal drought for Diego Costa, as you say, Dave. He's failed to score in three consecutive Premier League appearances for the first time since April, May 2016. So there you have it. Um, did you see Back the him. Did you see the real hero of this game though? Um, the clip doing the rounds, the Burnley fan uh, stopping the the wayward shot from Ashley Barnes flying into the face of a toddler. Did you see that one? No. Yeah, it's yeah, great. So mate. I, I saw you know, you know on, on Twitter these days where there's a lot of shitty accounts that have like what 200, 300,000 subscribers, and you see these Follows. tweets just bounce from one of the account. Yeah. Follow, sorry, lads. From one of the accounts and everyone, football humour. Oh, did you see this keeper? Did you see the the person that was the world? Ah! You don't like to see this act of uh, heroism, I like it. Dave? I love it. This I viral love it. heroism. The clip's, fan- the clip's fantastic, but the issue is the people shipping it around just wind me up a little bit. You're Surely, right. like, it's the first person that identifies this should get all those retweets, but they're not. Uh... They're stolen by horrible, filthy accounts that are nothing but trouble to the internet, Adam. <laughs> You're, you're right in that uh, when I did see this clip, it did pop up on 10 different accounts, all with the uh, copy, if the you same, will, of the same what copy. Is it? Uh, not all heroes wear capes, it said. Um, <laughs> I think it was at Bearded Genius um, who originally tweeted out. Uh, he got quite a few, a fair few retweets, but of course, Footy Bounce came in. Uh, hum- footy Humor, as you said, they, yeah. they sort of tweeted out. Still stolen, mate. Almost like people are paid almost nothing in order to retweet things. Yeah. yeah. So, something, that, something we've seen before and yeah. something that a few uh, accounts I know and have, have worked with in the past get very angry about people just copy and pasting and it's pathetic. 
what do you get paid for? You get paid for to create content. So fucking create content and stop fucking copying people. Sorry. I'm sure they do get paid to create content. I'm pretty sure they do actually get paid to do exactly what they're doing, Dave. They get paid for, Adam, you know this phrase. You went to the same university as me. Journalism. Journalism, <laughs> mate. It's what it's all about. It's all about journalism in the modern day. That's what the evening standard built on. Got to put food on the table, you know. Something Without like. this, we couldn't <laughs> do the serious stories. All right, fair enough, mate. Uh, let's talk about uh, Arsenal 2. Hull City nil. Uh, Arsenal winning at home again. They've lost just twice in the Premier League at the Emirates this season against Liverpool and Chelsea. Uh, Hull didn't give a bad account of themselves, Dave. They're somewhat unlucky, potentially. It was a handball, depending on your viewpoint, for Alexis Sanchez's opener. You know, where, where's the line on that one? I don't know. His hand was coming up. It wasn't on purpose, but his hand did happen to knock the ball into the net, which is probably a handball. I'm not really sure. Um, so I, I find it like it was a difficult decision for the for the officials, unfortunately, because the angle that the linesman had, the angle that the referee had, unfortunately, Sanchez's body blocked out the view. And I can't, I, I, I understand why the goal was given, and I don't think there's anything you can really do. It's just one of those things, you know, it swings and roundabouts. The only thing that you could do to sort that out, obviously, is video technology, which would be great for the game of football. Um, so yeah, I'm all for that. But yeah, Hull City were really good again. And they deserved more than they got from this Arsenal game. Again, Kieran Gibbs should probably have been sent off. Uh, if you've seen the incident, I think oh, one yes. of the... I think so, 100%. Oh, Markovic. 100%. Markovic, yeah. Markovic had a fantastic game, actually. He Strange that Liverpool have lacked, yeah, have lacked a lively attacker with outside Umane. And Markovic is at hot. Obviously, it's different because he's getting game time and so not, forth. Yeah, he's, got quite the same. he's got a manager he's that's the same player. player. But it was really good. It really, really caused them trouble. And um, Nias... If, he was a little bit better in terms of his movement and timing, probably should have scored twice. But Arsenal got the job done, and unfortunately that's what Arsenal have done for the last X amount of years that they've got this Champions League record going, you know, the fourth place. It's, this is classic Arsenal. Play poorly, get the result. What about the performance of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain? He was relatively impressive himself. Uh, with those injuries in midfield, with that lack of options, do you think that's potentially his future position, Dave, under Arsene Wenger, or do you think he's not the man for that? that role this is the problem of English football this is the issue that a player that should be playing right midfield or left midfield he's a winger he's direct he runs at people he's quick he's pacey he can cross he's put his shoehorned into central midfield personally thought he was quite poor personally someone like Santi Gazzola comes back see you later Ox you're out the side someone like Zaka comes back Ox is out the side you know this is only because he has to be there this is it it's one of those things where because Oxley chamberlain hasn't been given a consistent position he's shoehorned into all these other positions and it's costing him Danny Murphy just infuriated me last night on Match of the Day 2. There was a moment, there was a clip, right, that he was analysing. They were analysing. They were like going, oh, that was a really good pass. The pass was absolutely rubbish. You know, it was just a, a pass into the final third that uh, a lot of players could have made. Then they moved the clip on and it went, oh, OK, here's him, um, you know, nicking the ball. I love his energy in central midfield. I love him, I like it, how, how he drives. You tell me, right, central midfielders in world football that at that peak of their game, the peak playmakers in world football don't carry the ball like that. They play the pass. Because they know moving the ball quicker with not at their feet is a better option for their team. You're thinking like players like Pjanic, uh, anyone, like any other decent playmaker in world football moves it quickly. So they highlighted this clip where the ball breaks in central midfield and Chamberlain accelerates onto the ball. He accelerates past the, the whole midfield. He's behind the midfield. Something that Arsenal struggled with was getting behind the whole midfield. He accelerated, accelerated, and he had a shot from about 30 yards that P rolled into the keeper's hands. I'm thinking, what the hell is going on in your head in terms of decision-making? That is atrocious. Danny Murphy's like, yeah, fantastic. 
That's what we want to see more from the Ox. Driving through midfield, you're thinking that is a total shite, Danny Murphy. And yeah, again, frustrating me pundits this season. First, I believe Marco Silva, who has turned Hull around. Um, the, the crazy thing was that as well. Something that came up back watching that whole game was the, the just before the game started, the uh, commentator was like, yeah, Marco Silva's won at Arsenal before. He, his Olympiakos side beat Arsenal 3-2 in the Champions League. Paul Merson's supposed to be an Arsenal expert having been at the club, and he didn't even think about that. Anyway. Dave Rance. I'm not even sure, I'm not even not sure Paul today. Merson remembers those years. Yeah. Dave, you're you going off on Twitter accounts, you're going off on pundits. I like this, the passion. Pundits, pundits, pundits are really annoying me lately. Uh, they're just like when you actually analyse what they're doing, you think, shit, what are you, why are you in a studio? They're what are you doing? They're wedge, there? mate. That's what they're doing. Exactly. Why can't I get some wedge? Why can't you get some wedge, Baldwin? Lawrence, why can't you? Why can't Chris get wedge? Why can't we just have wedge, right? It is definitely worth addressing one thing. One phrase I've heard consistently over the last week is, and see, I always find it a little bit unusual, is everyone says, um, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Now, yeah, I totally get that. And I understand that. And That was Gary Neville's big point that he was criticising people who responded, you can't criticise me because we're giving our opinion. But Gary Neville was like, but I'm allowed to give my opinion on your opinion. You know? I think, I think this is the, the, the part of the problem is people get, it, get lots of things, free speech, and sort of uh, the, the discourse that goes on in that space, sort of mistaken for, um, you know, if I have an opinion, therefore it is truth. And, uh, or, you know, it must be valid in some way. I think the problem is, you know, I mean, even on our podcast, I think a lot of places, and especially in sport, like, there's not very much recognition that most people are speaking from their own perspective and therefore it probably is quite a flawed area or there's a flaw in it in some way. I think a lot of people, what a lot of pundits are trying to do and a lot of networks try to speak from a quite final point of view to make it look like, oh, we need to argue or the, the debate needs to go on. I think we're, everyone's getting a little bit lost in that right now in a, in a football space where you have to be right. And I agree, there has to be something you can quantify it with. But I often, and I, I guess I just get frustrated with everyone being like, I'm, I'm entitled to my opinion. Yeah, and I think you're right, Adam. Your, your original point comes back there. I'm entitled to disagree with that. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, people I, think as long as you have an opinion, it's right. You're right you know that I mean? there's a conflation between an opinion, uh, the truth, and facts just because you have an opinion doesn't mean it's right doesn't mean that it is an absolute truth people seem to seem to confuse those those, I mean, those finer two, those two positions points. Yeah. yeah it's a post-trump world mate it's a post-facts world you know we're living well, it. but this opinions are truth for quite a long time i mean you know but I, I, it's again worth saying like what happens on the, it's it's so weird to watch what happens on the back pages always end up on the front pages in the end and, you know, we're seeing it quite a lot at the moment. Uh, you know, a lot of YouTube accounts, a lot of people like that are gaining more of a voice on the right wing and on the left wing. And arguably, because there's no sort of, um, not regulation, I'm not arguing for sort of government control, but because there's no one in uh, there sort of say, well, that's not really a fair thing to say, or I don't know, how can you quantify that? And there's not really anyone picking them up on any mistakes. Everyone's just sort of saying, well, I'm, I, I, I'm allowed to be here, you know, because you're or in the bourgeoisie, or you're in the middle bit, you're not. You, you're no better than I am. And I agree with that. But at the same time, there's got to be some sort of middle ground. There doesn't seem to be much middle ground uh, on, you know, you're either for the BBC or you're against the BBC. You're either for Sky Sports or you're against Sky Sports. You know, you're either for Arsenal fan TV or you're against Arsenal fan TV. Oh, yeah, TV. Everything, everything's and very black lot, and white. A lot of people, yeah, like, but 
a lot of people who listen Where to things it, actually probably, gray. And, and yeah, most people probably, in fact, I think everyone falls into the gray area, but it's just very difficult. I think most of the time, and that's maybe why we do a podcast is because most podcasts are gray. You know what I mean? Let's, Andy Gray. <laughs> let's talk about Arsenal before we get too many tweets complaining. We're talking too much about uh, politics on a the football media. podcast. Um, yeah. Arsenal, of course, next up, Dave, Bayern Munich, perhaps a real measure Great. of the side. They're expected to be Hull at home. They should be being Hull at home. This is the big one. This is the one where fans are going to want to see Arsenal step up and actually do something in this competition. Oh, not at all. Oh. Carl Ancelotti. Is so good at the Champions League. He just knows how to do the Champions League. It's just one of those things. It, Dave? He's, he's completed it three times, Lawrence. He, he it, could. Man. I reckon he'll complete it four times, maybe this year. Um, and I feel that he'll in one year. He'll attack Arsenal where they don't want to be attacked. He, he you know, he'll break them down. Uh, Thiago has been so good at sort of attacking central midfield this season. In terms of interceptions and turnovers, he's really evolved his game. He's he's won the ball back more times in terms of uh, interceptions than any other player in the Bundesliga this year. So he's going to be a threat and nicking the ball where Arsenal don't want it. And as soon as he's nicked the ball, bang, they're going to counter-attack. How do you kill Arsenal? You hit him on the break. And that's what Bayern will probably do, um, which will be a completely different sort of strategy and, and tactic to what they were doing for the last few seasons under Guardiola. So it's going to be a different Bayern Munich beast in the knockout stages with players like Ribéry, Robin, um, Costa. There's a lot of pace there and that's the feel where Arsenal will get done. Then you've got um, Lewandowski, playing some of the best football of his career. So there's a lot of things that's going to work out, for, that's working out for Bayern. And then you think of Arsenal, they've got no one in central midfield. Again, this could be a game where, I, I did criticise the Ox before, but playing a three-man midfield with the Ox in there so he can pressurise um, the Bayern players could be quite good to have that energy in that side. They're going to need people in that. They're going to need people and energy in that midfield, aren't they? And when I say energy, I mean they're going to need people who are going to press and try and yeah. pressure Bayern into playing, not, not in the way that, uh, in, a, in a way that Bayern don't feel comfortable. I've not watched enough of Bayern this season to know um, essentially how well they're playing. Uh, but still, they're going to need people to, to pressure. And that's maybe what Arsenal are lacking right now is someone who's renowned for doing that. They have players that are maybe capable of it, but no one who seems tactically intelligent uh, enough to do it for a full you know, 70 or 80 minutes, however long you need them to do it. I think that's kind of the problem with, uh, in a way, not having great balance in the squad in terms of defensive midfield players yeah. uh, not in terms of central in terms of wide areas like you think of someone like uh, Walcott will probably stay high up the pitch if Sanchez plays wide he stays high up the pitch if Ozil stays uh, it, it plays attacking midfield or plays wide doesn't really defend Sanchez do for all the great work Sanchez does in a defensive sense in pressing he's really really bad at getting back into shape and it's one of those things where they can't Arsenal cannot afford to do that can, can I just say one thing um, go on Lawrence it, you say one thing do I'll it. Say what, one thing, uh, Dave. What's the temperature in London right now? It's a bit cold, to be honest. Yeah, it's nine degrees. Mild, now, I'd say. Mild. Uh, mild at best. Mm. Um, there's an ice cream van outside my yeah, window. Yeah, I did just hear that. So, uh, what are you thinking? Are you going to go for uh, going to go for uh, Mr. Whippy? What do you want? What do you want? Adam? Do you want a screwball? It'll stay cold. Know? It's not going to melt anytime soon. I guess that's the plus point. Well, no, I'll be able to get it all the way to your house. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, make it a 99p flake. Love it. Um, yeah. While I'm waiting for that, let's talk about uh, Palace losing Not once really again bad. as Stoke City. Disappointing. Um, <laughs> another defeat, Dave, uh, for Sam Allardyce's side. Failing once again to keep a clean sheet. It's supposed to be a speciality. He's trying different formations, but doesn't seem to be working for the big man, does it, Dave? Adam. 
you highlighted a great point there. He's trying a number of different formations. Something that we've mentioned last week, we mentioned the week before. It takes time for Sam Allardyce to get his football across to players, but he is tweaking, he is trying, and I feel that he will um, you know, come up with a system. I feel like potentially he may, may need to throw another worker into central midfield. Uh, at the moment, you know, Punchard's been playing there with two sort of more physical midfielders, so maybe chucking another guy in there. But it, it's, it's all about work, and it's all about the end game of getting those clean sheets, and I feel like it will eventually tick. But again, they got caught out. Uh, they do need to start doing it. You know, we are in February. We are in Feb. So maybe there's um, there is a time that Sam needs to start going and I will have to start criticising. But at the moment, I'm still giving him his sort of teething time, his adapting time. Well, let me just quickly flip over to Sunderland last season when Big, Big Sam was manager. So it flipped for them in March. So March the 1st, they went on a, you know, a, they, didn't, they lost one game in the last X amount of fixtures. What was it, like 10 games? Yeah, the last 10 games, they, they, they only lost one game. And that's from March. So Sam has still got... We can criticise Sam. We can, we're allowed to criticise Sam. Well, I'll criticise To March the 1st. On, yeah, on March <laughs> only. the 2nd. Yeah, that's Sam the one day. March the 2nd. And until then... Sam Allardyce you know, West criticism Sam fans day. can continue um, to hate me. Palace have won seven of their last 46 league games. Wow. Are you saying that's a good or a bad thing? Because actually, in many ways, considering what the club's going through... You can interpret, these, good, you can interpret these, these facts as you will, you know. Yeah. Uh, post hey, era. my, um, my what, alternate pardue. What about uh, Stoke Lawrence? Up to ninth now. Um, they've actually finished in that position in the last three years in a row under Mark Hughes. Is that impressive consistency or is there a case to be made Maybe he's almost peaked as Stoke Boss, that he's hit a certain ceiling. Um, I mean, after a certain amount of time, then you, I mean, even then, you could sort of say, well, you're one of the nine best teams in the country. That's still a pretty big achievement. Pretty I guess good. he as a manager will still feel that he would like to take them further. Um, you know, they've invested money, they've given him this. They, he essentially does have um, at least a portion of the squad that he probably wants now. He's been given uh, the time to turn this team around. Um, I, uh, you know, they do. They the, the problem with Stoke is there's too many times where you think, you know, what you could have gone further than this, but you haven't, and the reasons behind that do seem to be tactically based in where Mark Hughes has been uh, outthought or outmaneuvered by another manager, um, and he, his system has let him down. And I think ultimately that's that's part of the problem with Mark Hughes is that he uh, he he never managed to find the biting point between system and and the people playing it if you go through that starting 11 for stoke just the other day they've still got a few players in there from the previous regime they've still got people who you say would represent that shawcross crouch arguably um charlie adam and maybe even someone like bardsley um and then they've got a couple of mark hughes players in around that i think he's done very well to make this side and turn that side around so um to play some more beautiful football but i i think they always had it in them that's that's what makes me think a, cl- a club's always going to roll the dice with Mark Hughes because they think well, we've got this, but we could have a, you know, Marco Silva, um, or someone who's going to maybe and potentially take them a step further, or Mauricio Pochettino, you know, someone who's potentially going to take them up to the next level. Speaking of Stoke, we have got to talk about Tony Pulis. Um, he came Tony? out after the West Brom to West Ham to draw uh, in his post-match. Pre- I mean, what are we call in this whole situation? Voicemail gate, should we call it? Um, uh, yep. Not the catchiest of titles. But as I'm saying, West Brom, of course, they Mail stole gate. a draw <laughs> thanks to uh, Gareth McCauley's last-minute header. Uh, two all against West Ham. 
continuing their impressive form. They've only been beaten once in the last seven games now, but the result was overshadowed by uh, this whole story, this whole very confusing story that has erupted. Um, apparently, he came out what after the game. He came out after the game uh, this weekend and basically said it was absolutely disgraceful the way Stoke City have spun claims uh, from Mark Hughes, essentially, that he said in his press conference on Friday that Tony Pulis left Ryan Shawcross a voicemail calling Shawcross a loser. Uh, not quite sure why Mark Hughes revealed this in his pre-match press conference. Tony Pulis has not taken it well. He was apparently ringing up Ryan Shawcross to say he's anything but a loser. All just seems absolutely ridiculous really confusing <laughs> I don't know what's going on How, but Tony Bullitt this sorry, was, has, this, this, has this voicemail been released? no I, it's been released. I don't think it's been released no it's something that Mark Hughes seemed to uh, to make public the contents of that voicemail on Friday I'm assuming Ryan Shawcross told Mark Hughes but this was on over all uh, the newspaper websites on all football websites you know talking about this issue Tony Pulis has obviously addressed it and I still don't understand what is going on I guess, well, I guess he must have called him. He must have gone into a tunnel and then just the words that he didn't want yeah. uh, seem to have rearranged themselves yes. into an order. We all know it happens on Skype. There are times, so for instance, Adam, I could go, you know, I think you're an absolutely loser. Um, and well done. and you, nice all you help. hear is, I think you're an absolutely loser. Now, you can take that however you may, but I'm muted when I said um, opposite of a... Lawrence, so, you are such a... Yeah, Dave, you got to you got to complete you got to complete you've it. Got Dave, to come you're not back quite getting the game. Um, yeah, <laughs> you're not quite getting the game there, Dave. Um, I, I, sorry, I was still on mute, Lawrence. I was still insulting you. Sorry, buddy. My mistake. Um, you absolute cunt. Um, so, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have to I leave that. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Um, uh, uh, the, the problem is that Mark Hughes is a stickler for manners, Adam. Now, we all know this because if Mark Hughes does not get his hand shaken, he will go on about it and on about it and on about it for days. The other day, there was a quote release memory said, I'm a guest in their stadium, and if they don't make me feel welcome, it's their fault. <laughs> I just love manners. I like you it. You really are. Yeah, he's basically asking for basic manners. And what, what he's done there is he's gone outside of basic manners. It's very not it's not cool to call someone 
to tell them I don't think you're a loser. <laughs> loser, such a weird. Why would you even call someone a loser anyway? It's a bit Donald Trump, isn't it? It's a strange I was just, yeah, insult. I was just calling to say loser. Yeah, I just say. Just come and say, I don't think you're a loser. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't think I was. No, I was just saying, I don't think you're a loser. Yeah. Oh, thanks. So, <laughs> it's uh, just a bizarre situation. <laughs> Voicemail gate uh, continues to rumble on. I'm sure we'll hear more about it in the coming weeks, of course. Maybe it's reverse psychology. Maybe. Wait, how? Where, where he's calling him and he's going, oh, I've heard what everyone else has been saying. And Ryan Shawcross is like, what, what? what? And he's like, oh, don't listen to him. Yeah. He's like, what, what, what are they saying? I like that. And he's like, well... I don't want to tell you, mate, but you're not a loser. And he's like, wait, what? And then he's like, see ya. That's... Sido, Sido, you're not a loser. <laughs> uh, let's talk uh, Manchester United uh, continuing their remarkable unbeaten run. What's it up to now, Dave? Uh, 18 games? 19 games? 16, I think, in the league. Wow, so they are, incredible. They the best um, record in Europe's top five leagues, only in league. So they did lose, obviously, to Hull City. Mm. But apart from that, Adam, they're fine. 2-0. Mm, Feels like Watford. 19. Um, amazing home form as well, has to be said, at Old Trafford now. Uh, after the game, uh, Mourinho singling out the performance of Paul Pogba, Dave. Um, do you think he's now starting to show his best for Manchester United? I think Mourinho uh, highlighted Pogba's performance because he played him deeper in defensive midfield in, in a two behind a, a band of three attacking midfielders. And Pogba played well because... For me, Paul Pogba this season, he's been in spells of games. He's been really, really good. But other times he's been really frustrating of how he uses the ball, he uses it too slowly for a central midfielder. But what we're seeing in defensive midfield is he's making the right decisions. And I think that's why Mourinho's come out and he's, he's you know, he's um, uh, supporting his player because Pogba made the right decisions against Watford. He played a number of great balls over the top. He moved forward at the right time. He had a great chance within the, the Watford area, which he, he didn't put away. But it was the decisions that he was making that, it was so impressive when to tackle, when to sit, when to hold. His relationship with Herrera was really good. And I liked it. I really liked that Mourinho sort of maybe taking a little bit of hype off Paul Pogba, um, noticing that maybe the, the media has put a little bit of um, pressure on him, obviously with the money and so forth, and been like, OK, Pogba, you sit a bit deeper. We'll let uh, Mkhitaryan, we'll let Martial, we'll let one matter. Those guys create. Pogba, you just do your job as a central midfielder. Because I think that for Pogba right now, 23 years old, consistency-wise, isn't creating at a level that you'd want when you've got someone like Mkhitaryan at attacker midfield. Play Mkhitaryan, let Paul Pogba sit a bit deeper and be that link man and, and allow Pogba to do that. Maybe he's looking for next season when United sign Antoine Griezmann, Adam. Of course. There's a great, of course. Is there something on the front for a YouTube channel that you've got to go and check out about Griezmann moving to Manchester United? Go and check Probably out the scout not, report. Not, just leave go it. and check it out. Um, Dave, you're such a Kool-Aid drinker. Sorry, the media putting pressure on Paul Pogba. He's got his own emoji. <laughs> the media. Uh, Lawrence, yeah, the Lawrence, media being the media that he one, gets paid by. <laughs> Lawrence, he's one of my tribe, all right? I get to defend him if I want. <laughs> also, I think it's I think it's very unusual that Paul Pogba can't put toxic green or whatever it is in his hair, but Sadio Mane can and get away with it. It's not Ooh. fair. Yes, mate. It's just not fair. Um, it's not fair. On Zlatan watch, Dave, uh, didn't score. I'm sure everyone will be glad, glad to know, especially me and my girlfriend. Well, glad. Um, but he's <laughs> come out and talked about uh, the contract He's going to walk next to you, hasn't he? Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, for, uh, on most <laughs> yeah, days, let alone, with, uh, let alone with the bleach hair. Um, but the Swede came out after the game. Of course, uh, we know he's scored enough goals to activate that one-year extension in his contract. Mourinho has talked about how he wants him to stay for that second year. Ibrahimovic raising some question marks, though, Dave, after this game. 
Um, so it was, a, it was a real mixed bag for Ian Rich against um, against Watford. Like creativity wise, he was really really good. Created six chances in the game. The, the whole Watford team combined managed uh, seven, so it was just one fewer than the whole team. He was really good. His hold up play was really good in spells. The ball was going to him. It was sticking. He was working the ball out to the wide wide areas. It was really good. And what Zlatan suits is playing a 4-2-3-1 at the moment in his career because he's getting to the latter stages he needs a bit of legs around him he needs a bit of pace to go ahead of him and in the the 4-2-3-1 Mkhitaryan's given him that and it's looking really good and if you look at the stats when uh, United have played a 4-2-3-1 Mkhitaryan sorry uh, Zlatan has created over four chances in each one of those games so moving on to his his finishing which was the issue for a lot of fans showing their frustration Adam have you been have you been speaking to him because there were two chances that he missed from inside the six-yard box that he, mm. one of them went out for a throw-in and the other one was straight at the goalkeeper. So maybe uh, he's heard of our bet and uh, sacked it off. I've have recently, you been leaving voicemails for him, Adam? No, I've just recently converted to every religion and have been praying uh, hard. And obviously <laughs> the gods have answered, you know? So it's Pretty sure that's counter to every religion, Adam. Mate, All it's right, desperate times, enough. desperate measures. has to be done. You know? Are you sure it isn't that you knew that he had this uh, clause in his contract? So as soon as he hit that, He'd be like, I can just chill now. Don't need more than 15 goals. I've done it. Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> In many ways, yes. Uh, let's move on to the final fixture of the weekend. Middlesbrough, once again, failing to score a nil-nil draw at home with Everton. Tenth draw this season for Italk Rankers side, Dave. Uh, the most in the Premier League. Again, you know, looking good at the back, but they've only netted 19 times this season in total. Uh, again, the lowest in the league, and without a win in eight, it leaves them firmly in the relegation battle. They're getting sucked in, aren't they, Dave? They are, yeah, definitely. They're, they're part of it in terms of goals. They've been pathetic. They need to find their Gary goals of the squad and hopefully get a get a few goals out of him. But it's, uh, it, I think it's the, the style of football and how it all comes together. They are a defensive side, and they do defend very, very well. They just need to, Karanka needs to free them up. Um, in an attacking mm. sense, you could potentially look at Monaco. The, apart from this season where they've scored a hatful of goals, we'll probably talk about them a little bit later on. They defensively were very, very good, but they couldn't find uh, you know, how to attack together. Um, and then Yardim has freed them up this season. The fullbacks go forward a lot higher. Maybe it's something that Karan could do a slight tactical twi- uh, tweak, which could get them some goals. Let's hope so, because um, what's the opposite of coming up Millhouse? Everything's coming up Millhouse. Everything's coming up. Everything's. Principal Skinner. Principal Skinner. He's always on Skinner. the. He's always on the losing end. Um, let's talk Sunderland. Sat, hammered, smashed, obliterated, cowabungered by Southampton. Four nil. Uh, pumped at an empty stadium, and now they're off to the USA, Lawrence. So every cloud has a silver lining, maybe some of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, unless it's a volcanic cloud, those are just dark. And it is a volcanic Um, cloud because they're going down, essentially. Yeah, although volcanoes tend to erupt upwards. um, So find a new... (laughs) Make that what you will. ...analogy. (laughs) Dickhead. Um, I think, uh, basically, I think Sunderland went into this feeling very confident with themselves uh, and maybe underestimated what was going to happen. You know, the previous game, they won that one 4-0. They managed to uh, get a great result against Spurs and it, it felt as if... Uh, they'd turned a corner after arguably three or four difficult results. I think they lost three in a row and drew, and drew uh, twice in the previous five. Um, so they're on somewhat of a high. I think they came uh, to Southampton expecting something quite different. Uh, and this Southampton side are really coming together tactically now. They also came up against Gabby Adini, who hit them for six very early on. And then in the second half, 
uh, they actually did get their shit together, but it was too late by then. They were 2-0 down and the game essentially was already lost. Um, and as much as, you know, they tried to battle their way back into it, uh, basically late on Southampton hit them and made it look like much more of a generous scoreline, should we say, than, uh, than it originally should have been. The, the squad just isn't up to it, is it, Dave? I mean, we saw Jermaine Defoe crowned Player of the Year at the North East Football Writers Award uh, this weekend. But as Stephen Gerrard said, without him, you know, where, where would they be? Yeah, where would they be? And I think it's it's going to be such a test for David Moyes. If David Moyes keeps this side up, it'll be, you know, near and on a miracle. And it's his greatest uh, achievement, have a great, perhaps. Yeah, probably his greatest achievement. He's uh, only, th- he's, to be fair, he's only three points off Middlesbrough at this point. So, I, you know. It's tight down there. <laughs> it is tight, those, those bottom six. But um, I think for me, Sunderland, I just I can't see a way out of them. I think, as we were saying earlier, with regards to Swansea, and Hull, there is that that feeling of momentum with these teams. There, there is that change that seems to have improved matters with Sunderland. I think it was a full storm those two results that you mentioned, Lawrence. Mm. They do, they do also have two difficult games coming up. Um, but then I think so. The, in the two games after this, they've also got Everton and then Man City. But then after that, there are a series of games where you think there are there are points there for you. There's a Middlesbrough. Uh, there's Burnley. I was going to say they're playing Sunderland, which should be easy. Um, they're playing Burnley. Uh, Watford, Leicester, and, and then that's capped by Manchester United. Um, so th- uh, there's there's a lot. Uh, there's still a points up for grabs. Essentially, um, the the problem for them is, or, or a good thing for them is, they finish the season at Chelsea. So if it is still tight by that point, you'll have expected that Chelsea may have already won the league, and therefore it's going to be a bit of a different day. Mm. As for Southampton, I'm calling it now. As for Southampton, they remain. In 11th, Dave, um, some awful form they've been on out of the last eight games. They've lost six of them. Uh, they finally won a game here against Sunderland. Uh, problems in defence, of course, for them. Going forward now with Manolo Gabbiadini there is a shrewd signing that can potentially get them the goals to win games. Yeah, first of all, since uh, Charlie Austin went out injured, they really lacked a uh, striker that was scoring goals. Shane Long coming in, not doing too great. And other players sort of fill in there, but just not really performing at the same level that Charlie Austin was. But Gabby Dini looks so, so bright. His movement looks fresh. His, his touch for the second goal was absolutely incredible. It was a real bit of, uh, you know, world-class talent there on show. And if he can consistently perform like that, you may catch a few sides out. You can you, you see this sometimes in January where a team brings in a forward that not a lot of people have done their homework on. And he catches them out for the rest of the season. Then next season will be a real test for him to see whether he's at that quality. But, you know, I expect him fully to score. Score a few goals for them. Let's briefly preview tonight's feature then. Monday Night Football. Bournemouth versus Manchester City. Uh, Bournemouth without a win in their last five, Dave. Uh, also shipping goals. 16 in their past five league games. It will be interesting to see a few selection questions, Pep Guardiola. Number one, the goalkeeper. Uh, whether he's going to stick with Willy Caballero or return Claudio Bravo in between the sticks and of course Sergio Aguero ahead of the game once again his future dominating the headlines with Guardiola bringing up question marks uh, over Aguero's long-term future at the club yeah I think there's, there's two big questions there first off um, I think Caballero is going to stay in goal unfortunately Bravo is just not at the same levels that he had at Barcelona his shot stopping is the real weird one 
Like before he was, he was good. He's a good shot stopper. It just seems a season confidence or, or something's going wrong with him. Uh, in terms of Aguero, Gabriel Jesus unfortunately has been too good and suits Guardiola's system a lot more than the Argentinian international. And you see his return so far for Manchester City, three goals and an assist in the Premier League. Why would you not play him? Uh, he, he looks like he's the part. He, he links up with Sane and Sterling very, very well. So yeah, I'd, I'd keep both of them in, uh, Caballero and uh, of course. Our pal Jesus. Our pal, eh? <laughs> Our pal Jesus. Let's talk the action from around Europe then in part two. First up, let's go to Simon Harrison, football writer, to get a roundup on La Liga. We're joined now by football writer Simon Harrison to talk the weekend's La Liga action. Simon, welcome to the front three. Thank you for having me. I mean, first time for everything and uh, hopefully we can get something going. I mean, I think people need to be paying a, well really close attention to La Liga this season it, it's all set up for what should be a fantastic second half of the season It is shaping up uh, very nicely um, this weekend of course Atletico Madrid reclaiming fourth spot they left it late though uh, for a 3-2 win over Celta Vigo but everyone's talking about that Fernando Torres goal after the game aren't they son? Well uh, I'd love to say that it, it, it had been coming but really it kind of showed the the underlying quality of a man who really hasn't had it all his own way. Um, it was obviously an absolutely outrageous thing to attempt. And I think probably most of the people inside the Calderon and on Twitter <laughs> would have expected it to end up in Rosette. But obviously, it's he's come up roses. He's scored a couple of other goals recently. Uh, albeit against, you know, this, this season he's not really been banging them in. He's, he's scored a couple against Sporting and Leganes, I think. Um, and obviously, it's not the Torres of old. But it is kind of throwing the question out there of whether he deserves a new deal at the end of the season. Do they just let it run out? I think he is probably of the opinion that they can't really afford to accommodate him anymore. Um, but obviously there is that romanticism around El Nino. And and I think it was quite fitting, really, that uh, a goal which threatened to be a consolation goal, a beautiful consolation goal, but it, w- it was good to see that they had that comeback and it gave a bit more significance to what could be one of the last great goals that we do see from Torres playing football for Atletico Madrid. Mm, a good win for them. They're now seven games unbeaten in the league. Um, however, they only remain a point above Sociedad. Uh, they themselves continued their push for that fourth and final Champions League spot. Uh, it was a 2-1 victory for them over Espanyol. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a fantastic result because Espanyol were kind of in unknown territory in terms of how many good results they've managed to string together recently. Uh, Kike Sanchez-Flores, he's got an organised team. They all sing off the same hymn sheet. Uh, obviously, we've seen that at Watford in the Premier League, he had uh, kind of a, a malleable 4-4-2, and he's kind of sticking with the same thing at Espanyol. Uh, so, I mean, just, just to beat Espanyol on the form that they're in was a fantastic result. Um, the injury to William Jose could be a big one. It's going to be a big, big ask for Juan Mita to step up and contribute the goals that that Brazilian has managed to this season um, but with with Real Sociedad I have quite liked this season they've got some they've got some really talented players and also even when they went behind to Osasuna last week there is that kind of they're in the the form and obviously they're in fifth place and the confidence that comes along with that is that if they do go a goal behind they don't really worry about it they kind of have that belief that if they just keep playing how they're playing um, something will come out of it and I think that's quite a powerful tool to have when you're against a lot of different teams that are kind of in the mix for European football this season. And a little bit of confidence can really maybe be the difference between you finishing fifth or maybe further down in, in seventh and kind of missing out. 
Before we get to the big two, we obviously have to talk about Sevilla, of course. Um, they remain in third place. Uh, they got back on track with a 1-0 win at Las Palmas, Simon. Yeah, uh, it has really been, for me, the summer transfer business that Sevilla did. Obviously, bringing in Sampoli was a huge coup, I think. But also, the fact that they've packed their squad out with so much talent and so much talent in offensive areas, it's really... It's something that I think that Atletico Madrid are kind of missing this season. Even when things aren't going right and they're kind of just trading blows and grinding these games down to sort of like a tight finish in the last 20 minutes or so, they've got such depth on the bench. It's actually quite crazy. I mean, you had Joaquin Correa scoring his uh, first goal, I think it was, for Sevilla, uh, an all-important goal against Las Palmas. And you've also got players like Sarabia who have regularly come off the bench to fantastic effect. Um, And I think that given that Sevilla's starting lineup is as good as anyone's potentially in La Liga on their day. It's it's really a useful tool to have these players coming on fresh, coming on with confidence, and coming on with the kind of track record to prove that Sam Poli's not just bringing them on to add some fresh legs. He actually believes they can make that difference. And in the running for whether it be uh, third place, second place, wherever they end up sort of finishing up at the end of the season, I mean, they have got quite a bit on the bench that maybe the likes of Barcelona and the likes of Atletico Madrid kind of wish that they had themselves. As for Barcelona, uh, they remained second. They did go top ever so briefly, um, but it was a comfortable 6-0 win over Alaves for them. Uh, goals for each of the MSN, including two for Suarez, but the win was somewhat soured by a nasty-looking injury for Alex Vidal. Yeah, I mean, that, that scoreline, obviously, it's fantastic and good for the confidence for, for Barcelona to smash a team like Alaves for that scoreline. But it, it didn't really tell the whole story. Alaves had a sort of crazy 10, 20-minute period where they just completely fell apart. Um, I think it kind of gives a false representation of what the Copa del Rey final might be like because obviously those two teams will clash again before the end of the season, especially given the fact that Alaves went to camp now and got a surprise 2-1 win earlier on in the campaign. Um, the Vidal injury, it, it's a real shame because Enrique... He, he's been tinkering around with his like midfield three. He's been rotating quite a bit. He's been ensuring that the likes of Vidal or Paco Alcacer, uh, Denis Suarez, even though there have been some injuries, he's been trying to ensure that everyone has a reasonable amount of minutes to kind of keep everything ticking over. And Vidal had suddenly become this player who was a really sort of like a poster boy for the fact that Enrique could look at him and kind of say, well, I've been giving him a chance. Everyone thought he was written off and suddenly he's sort of this new regenerated character. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of pick themselves up from him getting injured. They've got Sergio Roberto, who's obviously done well in a new position this season, um, but he will be suspended for the Copa del Rey final in the coming months. So it might be interesting to see who they end up replacing uh, Vidal with at right back. Um, Javier Mascarano has played there very, very briefly, but really I'm sure that Luis Enrique would rather have scraped a 1-0 win over Alaves and still had Vidal fit. So... Um, it's obviously great for the confidence in terms of getting people on the score sheet, but he's a valuable player to have lost at a quite important time of the season. I mean, you mentioned the rotation there. What have you made of some of the criticism there has been for Luis Enrique recently? Obviously, a lot of games in recent weeks for his side, but some fans grumbling over his team selections in recent weeks? It, it, it's quite a tough one because obviously he's got to keep people fresh. He's got to give people a chance. But I think the way that he has been rotating, he's had so many different trios between the likes of uh, Iniesta, Busquets, Rakitic, Denis Suarez, Rafinha. Um, I mean, he's had so many different combinations that it can come across 
And I mean, I've been I've been perhaps guilty of kind of going down the same route occasionally myself. In that, does he know his best team? Um, is he does he have like a firm vision of what his best eleven would be on any given day? Um, and obviously, rotation comes along with that sort of as a parallel. Um, they've been quite unlucky with injuries. So obviously, Iniesta has spent some time out. Uh, Busquets recently has spent some time out. But I don't know. I mean, you were kind of seeing with Alex Fidel, like I said, you were seeing how giving the players who are kind of on the fringe an opportunity to impress. He was kind of the poster boy saying that, well, Enrique was kind of right to do this. And when you look at the likes of Real Madrid, obviously, they've got two games in hand and their fixture congestion could come the end of the season could be pretty crazy, to be honest. Um, and it might come down to the fact that the, the teams who keep their um, best 11 the fittest might come out on top. So obviously Barcelona, they've got quite a big gap to close. It could go up to seven points, but it, it's definitely not the end of story or anything like that yet. And if you have Real Madrid playing a few of these uh, games in quick succession and they might not pick up the results that they're after, then if Enrique has been keeping people fresh and he's got a nice big pool of players to choose from, I mean, Barcelona really can't rule themselves out of anything at the moment. Obviously, this week, the focus turns to Europe. Barcelona facing Paris Saint-Germain for the third time, I believe, in the past four Champions League campaigns. Uh, they have knocked out the French champions on those previous two occasions. But going into this one, PSG are on good form ahead of the first leg in Paris, Simon. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. Obviously, as you've said, it's it's something where it, uh, it's sort of almost a groan goes out when it comes out of the hat. It's been, it's been so regular recently. Um, and the other interesting aspect of it is the fact, obviously, that Unai Emery, uh, he's been putting himself against Barcelona for the last few years, I mean, with with Sevilla. Um, and obviously, he knows what it takes to get to the final stages of big competitions. Obviously, it was it was the Europa League, so the, the little brother, as it were, I suppose, of the, of the Champions League. But he'll be knowing how to set his team up. He's got um, Cavani in probably the best form that PSG fans probably could have hoped for coming into the game. Um, but also... Barcelona, they do have um, a lot of players fit and raring to go. Neymar has looked a lot better in recent weeks. And obviously, you can never rule out Messi and Suarez getting in on the act. Um, and I think it, it will be interesting because obviously, PSG, it, it's kind of, with, with you saying earlier how there's been criticism of Enrique this season, it, it's been sort of the same with Emery. I mean, you had Gregor Krakowiak, who obviously was fantastic for Sevilla under Emery. He's kind of gone there, not proven himself. You've had Hesse go there from Real Madrid. He's ended up now at Las Palmas on loan. And I think there are grumblings in terms of a lack of confidence in Emery. Um, and really, the pressure is going to ramp up on him massively if PSG can't get to the later stages of the Champions League because there was kind of this sense that Emery's going there with that sole purpose in mind. And, and perhaps even though PSG has become synonymous with League One titles, maybe they would kind of they'd kind of put that to the back of their minds to focus on the Champions League. So if Barcelona, I would say they'd, they'd probably be happy to just kind of even take a narrow defeat or take a draw at Parc de Prince, and then the, the pressure on Emery will be absolutely huge to deliver because there's almost the sense that, say, if PSG don't pick up a good result in the first leg, then everything in this season is riding on that game. And... Barcelona, I mean, they've been in those high-pressure situations before. They've got to finals. They've won trophies under Enrique, even when they thought it wouldn't be possible to improve on past managers' records. And PSG haven't got that history. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I think the second leg, as long as someone isn't blown out of the water in the first leg, the second leg is going to be the one which is going to have all of the talking points around it. Mm, as for Real Madrid, 
they end their weekend top once again. As you said, they still got two games in hand. It was a 3-1 victory for Los Blancos at Osasuna. Not as comfortable as the scoreline suggests, perhaps. But, of course, an intriguing tie with Napoli coming up on Wednesday. Uh, Zinedine Zidane saying he's hopeful that Gareth Bale will be able to play some part and potentially return in time, uh, having been out since November with an ankle injury. Yeah, I mean, Alvaro Morata has already said... Uh, that you know that Real Madrid need to kind of look out for Napoli. He knows them from his time at, at Juve, uh, and obviously under Sari they're playing this scintillating counter-attacking football. Where if Real Madrid maybe take their foot off the gas or if something breaks down in the wrong area of the pitch, that they could really find themselves in trouble. Um, I think Danny Carvajal being back fully fit is a is a big boost for that game um, because obviously I think I think Zidane kind of struggled to trust either Danilo or Nacho at right back to the point where against Osasuna he actually started with a 3-5-2 and I can't see Real Madrid persisting with that into the midweek Champions League fixture. Um, Osasuna do deserve a bit of credit. I mean they made Real Madrid work quite hard for it and also made Zidane need to actually look to his bench to kind of change the game a little bit. Um, But it's definitely a very tough tie because you kind of see how Napoli they're almost putting together these games which just can kind of Occupy the highlights reel for the, like the Italian equivalent of match of the day or whatever for <laughs> for the entire hour of running. I mean, Mertens and Insigne got hat tricks not too long ago. Uh, they seem to be scoring for fun. And Real Madrid. I mean, obviously they've got a pretty good defensive record this season in La Liga, uh, the same as Barcelona's. And they they do have that kind of resilience and belief in terms of Ramos can pop up with a late goal. They've got that never say die attitude. Um, but it will be interesting to kind of see them play against a team who are just so geared around this quick vertical football, but also they're more than happy to kind of keep the ball when necessary to allow their fullbacks to get up the pitch, to make the pitch nice and wide. I think it's going to be one of the, the biggest tactical tests that Zidane has actually had this season. Uh, he has shown that he's prepared to tinker with the 3-5-2, did it against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey. He played the 3-5-2, as I said, at the weekend. But I think he really should just be sticking to what he knows, sticking to a 4-3-3 and then just hope that they are in a position where they can afford to bring on Bale for the last 20 or 30 minutes and, you know, let him have a run because I don't think people were quite expecting him to come back to training so soon. Um, But it will be such a boost for Real Madrid fans to see him playing again out on the right-hand side because no disrespect to Lucas Vasquez, who is a a wonderful player, but he's just not on the same level as Bale. And the sooner that they can get him back fit, the sooner that you start to become a lot more optimistic about the two games in hand that they have in the Liga and also in the Champions League, just just his athleticism, just what he can offer just from one given moment to just pull something out of the hat. Uh, he'll be invaluable, especially given that Benzema and Ronaldo, they haven't been at their best so far this season. Well, there you have it. That is the Liga wrapped up and Barcelona and Real Madrid's Champions League ties previewed. Simon, thank you very much for coming on the front three. Where can the listeners find more of you? Well, you can always find me uh, talking about bits and bobs to do with the Liga on um, Simon H Football, so at Simon H Football on Twitter. Um, I'm just posting links of things that I've written throughout the week. Got a fair few weekly columns to keep an eye out for, and hopefully it should go some way to keeping uh, your hunger for Spanish football a little bit on the down low. Right, let's round up the rest of the European action. Classic. Germany. Simon. Uh, Simon, wonderful, wonderful guest have on the show um cool guy cool guy uh let's talk germany Bayern munich tightening their grip on the title all six teams behind them in the bundesliga losing this weekend uh brucey dubman of 
Dooman. Borussia Dortmund, of course, falling to a 2-1 defeat at bottom club Darmstadt with a dreadful performance. Uh, their inconsistent season continues. Uh, their miserable, miserable weekend made worse by the fact they've now been ordered to pay a €100,000 fine and close the yellow wall for a domestic match as punishment for the crowd trouble against Leipzig last weekend. Um, so everything's coming up. Principal Skinner for Dortmund as well. Uh, speaking of Leipzig, they have suffered back-to-back defeats now. Uh, it's a surprise 3-0 loss at Hamburg, leaving them seven points behind Bayern Munich, the leaders. They, of course, left it late to beat Ingolstadt. Goals from Arturo Vidal and Arjen Robin with 90 minutes gone, giving Carlo Ancelotti's side all three points ahead of this weekend's this week's Champions League fixture against Arsenal. Uh, Hoffenheim, meanwhile, stumbled to a 2-1 defeat at Wolfsburg, while third place Frankfurt was sunk by the one and only Javier Hernandez. Uh, maybe should have been a nominee for Player of the Week. Uh, he scored a double with the Mexican showing why Los Angeles FC are reportedly willing to offer a 12 million a year salary to tempt the former Manchester United striker to the new MLS franchise. So interesting stuff there in Germany. In Italy, meanwhile... Big. Gonzalo goals once again with a double, another brace for the main man uh, as Juventus maintained their seven-point lead at the top of the table. A 2-0 win for them at Cagliari, uh, the fifth win in a row for the Italian champions. Uh, Second-place Roma, meanwhile, kept up what I think can be described as light pressure on Juve. Uh, goals from Raja Nainggolan and Edin Dzeko giving them a 2-0 win over Crotone. Is it Crotone? Is it Crotone? I assume... I thought it was Crotone. Yeah, that sounds more Italian. Uh, so. Well, maybe, you can't uh, ask me uh, names, lads. I can't contribute to this. Uh, yeah, you, Let me rephrase well, it, lads. Yeah, no, definitely not. With a 2 0 win. It's like Panatone. With a 2 0 win over Crotone. Oh, Adam, Better? I love it when you do your Thank accent. You. Uh, Inter Milan and Atalanta remain level of points. I went too far. I went over the top, lads. I've gone too far. I won't do the rest of this report in uh, <laughs> an Italian accent. Uh, Level on points in fourth and fifth into Milan and Atlanta. Wins over Empoli and Palermo. Not bad, respectively. Yeah, good uh, Napoli, of course, warming up for their Champions League clash with Real Madrid. 2 0 win for them over Genoa. Uh, Maurizio Sarri's <laughs> side. Now, I've just given up. Now, unbeaten since October. A total of 18 matches in all competitions without the bitter taste of defeat, Dave. Adam Boltwood, one point to you, zero point to myself. I'm sorry. Eat the whole yeah, because cause the last loss they had was to Juve, wasn't it? On yeah. October. The 29th, 2016. Meanwhile, France, Nice's title challenge, took another setback. Two-all draw for them at Rennes. It's now just three wins in their past nine league matches, which leaves them five points adrift as leaders. Monaco, who thumped Mets 5-0. Kylian Mbappe, uh, reported target for Arsenal, scored his first scored his first Liga hat-trick. Uh, with Radamel Falcao making it 16 goals in 19 games with a brace for the Colombian. Uh, PSG, meanwhile, remains second after a 3-0 win at Bordeaux, continuing their recent good form. Unai Emery's side now unbeaten in seven in the league, still three points behind Monaco, going into the big clash against Barcelona this week. Right, player of the weekend time, guys. You have been voting on Twitter. Uh, No Manchester United nominees this week, although Stephen Housen himself did tweet in to say Eric Bailey or GTFO. He wasn't happy with our four nominees. Um, Lorenzo... Don't have a howl, man. Lorenzo, with his uh, suggestion of Javier Hernandez. Uh, Kyle Parr suggesting Falcao. Uh, Mike Fryer saying you've got to have Gabby Adini in there. And indeed, we did have him in there. Um, Alongside Sadio Mane, 
Gonzalo goals himself with that brace for Juventus. And Kylian Mbappe, who we just mentioned, got his first hat-trick in the French League. The results, I'm afraid Gonzalo goals is last with 9%. Um, Don't know what's wrong with people. Far behind the other three. It's actually the closest player of the week poll we've had so far. Uh, very tense. Uh, Manolo Gabbiadini finishes fourth uh, after his performance for Southampton. 27% of the vote. With 29% of the vote is Kylian Mbappe, which means Sadio Mane takes the coveted crown of TF3 Player of the he Week. He was good. Sadio, we have a box of Ferrero Rocher with your name on it. Just uh, pop around Dave's to collect it anytime you want, uh, if you are yep. listening. I'm sure he is. Um, and that brings an end to the weekend review, guys. Fantastic stuff. Um, thank you so much for listening. Hope you had as much fun listening as we did recording. Isn't that right, Lawrence? Just can't believe we skipped all the drugs problems, but all right, mate. Drugs problems, drugs schmugs. You know what I say? <laughs> <laughs> if you're, a, if you're, if you do drugs, you're a schmug. So I think this. Up. I think there's more to come from this story. There'll be more reveals to be heard, and it will be a juicy topic of conversation on Thursday's Q and A. That's what I think. Well, we know moment, more about drugs. Exactly, yeah. drugs. We don't drugs, know. Whatever. What do we know? I mean, what what about five aside then, Adam? I mean, you you know, you played five aside on the weekend. You missed you missed Dave. You missed me. I was sick. Dave's yeah, injured. we we do try and get a, a good five aside going on the weekend once again. Listener Justin came down, but I was the only one Ooh. there. Dave was missing. Dave, you picked up an injury of some sort. Yeah, well, I'm training to do the Paris Marathon, and I've developed runner's knee on Ooh, the knee. IT band on my left knee. So unfortunately, yeah, Adam, yeah. if I yeah, want to win, yeah. if I want to win the Paris Marathon, which I'm going to do, nice. Um, I need to, to focus, um, and it's difficult. I don't know what to do. It's has anyone, if anyone, any of the whole know what knows. I've had runner's knee before, but it's that they think it's the IT band. Tweet me and tell me what to do because I've I, the stretches I can do, but at the moment I just can't run, and I've got to do what the marathon it? in like seven weeks. Mm. What is the, what is it? It's, like, what, it's an overextension of a, the outs one of the outside um, ligaments or bands in the outside of your knee, and I think it's because I was running on trainers that I'd done like three hundred miles in, so it's my own fault. But now I just can't shake it, so could be all over for Dave. Could be all That's over. Horrible. Is that actually threatening your your marathon? Yeah, it's, pro- it's properly, properly threatening my career. Ouch. I would um, never be able to uh, run again. More seriously, though, Lawrence had the man flu, which I think we'll all agree uh, yeah, oh God. is a play, critical situation. Are you over that now, Lawrence? You you back to your back to health? Adam, if I had man flu, then I would have gone and worked on that day and earned my money, but your, I didn't. Your bread so I had and that dough. I would have earned my bread on that day, all right, mate? Otherwise, we all know, because men who have flu can still go out and earn money. Yeah. They yeah. just they just get home and they're like, oh, I'm so feel so sorry. Is there a difference myself. between men who have flu and man flu? Is that what you're saying? Oh yes, very much so. You could. Very it's like different. when you say something racist and then you are a racist. Um, I, in many ways, am neither. What? <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, but you know what I mean. I'm not sure I do, but um, what I will say, I is think you should. I was extremely disappointed uh, that you both couldn't attend Five Side this weekend. You left it to me as the only front free member to uh to put in the performance and equally dis- rep? equally disappointing is the fact that i'd said to dave bring down your camera mate let's film the game you know might be a good bit of content for the front for youtube channel you know just something fun i'm not joking i put in an incredible performance uh absolute Oof. screamers uh from 20 yards 
little bits of skill, a few rough tackles. Yes, I did clean out a few players, but you know that's how it's got to be. Classic Adam Boltwood. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping next time we play, we get some cameras in that cage, and people will be able to witness the furious uh, talent that I possess in many ways. (laughs) I I do believe that was what they put on yours. Furious talent. My problem with you saying that you scored from twenty yards, Adam, is that the pit. The pitch is barely 20 yards itself. So if you exactly, I scored yards. from my own half. It was with an outside of the boot curler, I might add. Uh, you know. But I don't want to harp on about my performance um, too much. Anything else? Just uh, Adam, I wasn't there to man mark you out the game as usual. Well, Pull your shirt, nipple twists, you know, you know fight no, dirty. The only way Let's just make it clear. <laughs> Sorry, make what clear? No, they, 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 Dave's not a good defender. Dave's a confusing defender. Dave does confusing <laughs> things, which make you go, what is going on? And then Dave goes, oh, got the ball. And it'll be like, oh, I'm going to do this thing where I sort of what kneel down and look like I'm praying to God. Is get the GoPros in that cage and let the audience, the viewers decide for themselves, you know, I think I agree. who is the best player yeah. in the yeah. front three. It's me. But anyway, guys, uh, that <laughs> we need be a team name. Another... So for that re- should we, we need the team name for that reason. You should tweet us with the team name of, uh, what we should call the series. Like, we need a series name for this. Uh, sound about five aside. Uh, cage uh, Rage. Cage Rage. It is Cage Rage in, ma- in many cases. I did actually um, I did actually make an awful tackle on the one and only Glenn Cowie. Uh, Classic Boltwood. TFR behind the scenes maestro. Uh, and Spencer FC Direct maestro. Um, but I actually came off worse. I fouled him and I may have like i don't know fractured my knee or something i've got an absolutely massive bruise on my knee now which fractured so i can't did I you think i fractured did you break him. one of those i think you broke one of your bands adam mate do you think you'd be able to take part in the paris marathon my, my furious <laughs> talent uh has left me lawrence in a bad this, state, is, lawrence, is this isn't a laughing matter um <laughs> you sound quite a lot like you're laughing Nick. <laughs> well guys you can look out for that on the front free channel soon i'm very sure a nice five aside series i think it would be extremely entertaining you may be laughing at us oh. as opposed to admiring us but that's fair enough do you yeah, think we should also just promo uh, dave starting a new series this week <laughs> oh i mean that could be uh, relatively important uh dave do you yeah. want to plug this exciting new chapter in the history of the front free mm, uh daily podcast every single day monday to friday so not every single day uh, weekday, <laughs> to friday. It's 24 hours a day but not at yeah. night um, just be a yeah podcast where we're getting getting the guys on uh, talking about football, and the first one is going today up on the uh, new Acast. So we'll we'll link it on the front free Twitter account. This so, is exciting. Before. What's the topic of conversation? It's football, Adam. We just talk football, mate. Good. Talk three things that we learned from the weekend, and we're going to be talking Man United return to attractive football. You bet Juventus, and then the race for the top four. So all great topics. Oh, good God. Well, guys, that does officially bring an end to this weekend's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with the Q&A, as always. Get your questions in on Twitter at the front 3 We'll also be reviewing all the Champions League action, of course. Very exciting. Until Thursday, though, Lawrence, where can the whole find you? Go find me on the brand-new Acast app. Uh, we're, we, we, we're out there, guys. Go and find... Uh, Dave and I doing this brand new, Dave doing it, but I'm sort of behind the scenes, you know, I want to promo it. It's going to be called Statman Dave, the football podcast. Go and take a look. Uh, it'll be on iTunes later in the week on Acast early in the week. So you can get it on Android and on Apple.
Now that is exciting. Um, Dave, I think I already know your answer, but where can the people find you? On the Statman Dave Football Podcast, I think. Uh, yeah, listen to some stuff there. And check it out. Make sure you do it on Acast as well, because they are great guys. Check it out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood, tweeting <laughs> super <laughs> hot fire every single other day. Um, Would you say you rage? No, I don't want to say I rage at all. I'm a calm and composed individual who uses my cool head to tweet a mixture of banter uh, and analysis or something. Anyway. I've never heard something so pretentious said on this podcast. Uh, what about the bit where I said I was amazing at football? And, uh, oh, no, good point. Uh, yeah, 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 good. Um, guys, we'll see you on Thursday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Stay until then, have a fantastic week, and remember Cowabunga. It's the only Simpsons quote that came to my head. <laughs> Disappointing. <laughs>